She must have been about 18 or 19. Long, flowing chestnut hair. Great, perhaps slightly mismatched green eyes that sparkled. Lips that were always cocked in a slightly cheeky grin. And legs that went forever. <laughs> now, I know it's a little bit politically incorrect, but we are talking last century and we're talking the throes of young teenage hormones. But she looked totally stunning in a swimming outfit. <laughs> and that's all she was wearing when my parents came home from holidays two days early. It's one of those worst teenage nightmares. <laughs> and I can't tell you that it happened every second week or so. But there it was. And I'm pleased to say that nothing untoward was happening. We'd just been for a swim and we were now cooking pizza before settling down to watch a movie. But still, it's like, who's that opening the front door with a key? Ah. Not the ideal moment you'd planned for, and I have to say, it was something I had not given any thought to and was completely unprepared for. If you've got that point, then you've got the sermon, you can turn off now and you can go home. <laughs> because Jesus' own sermon that he preaches here to his disciples is all too clear to us. Jesus is coming back one day. How will he find us? We often find in some of our sermons that we want to and need to preach some detailed exegesis and sometimes through our choice of timing uh, or our inclination, we don't always squeeze in much application. Well, this morning we have the reverse luxury. Any exegesis this morning is wonderfully straightforward and we'll have ample time to think about how this looks in our individual lives and our corporate lives. <coughs> if you want to make sure that you're in a posture today for doing some reflection, we'll be pausing with some regularity to think about what this might look like through the rest of today, through the rest of this week. If you're somebody who benefits from taking notes, old style or new style, feel free to grab some sort of writing device or typing device so that you might take notes to yourself about how you need to respond in the light of Jesus' teaching today. There are three paragraphs in the Bible in front of us and each of those nicely walks us through the different angles on the matter. So the very first paragraph, Jesus summarises what we saw in yesterday's passage between the era that he's speaking to his disciples through to his coming again in glory is a persistent time of tribulation. You'll find different people counting down in different ways, but I'm not convinced that we're going to get some extra special, brand new, final countdown timer and warning that this is the last time. I think we're there now. I think Jesus says, you do not know the day or the hour when the sun will return. And bang! He will be here. Like lightning from the east to the west, we will all see it. It won't be hidden. It will be there. The illustrations that he gives here aren't so much illustrations of rapture, but the, uh, the idea of two people will be in a field and all of a sudden, only one. Two women will be grinding a hand mill and all of a sudden, only one. It will be as if in the days of Noah, 
despite what you may learn from Russell Crowe, there wasn't a lot of advanced warning. They were going about their everyday business and then it was soggy. Are you ready for that complete and unannounced arrival? We talked yesterday about a gentleman called Harold Camping who not only set a date for Jesus' return, but another date and another date and another date. And most recently in 2011, you could have seen on the news American brothers and sisters passionate about the Bible and loving Jesus who'd sold up everything they owned and living in cars and motorhomes, perhaps not even that, as they waited for Jesus to arrive. It was great for evangelistic zeal leading up to May 21st and really hard evangelistic slog the day after. And the questionnaire also about responsible planning. How do you plan for beyond a time that we don't know? That's not the point of today's passage, but it is a valid question for you to think about as you wonder what it might be for Jesus to arrive at an unknown time. So each of these points raises opportunity for us for reflection. Do you expect Jesus to arrive at any possible moment? I went through a phase about 10 years ago of uh, thinking a little bit more about that and about my own mortality. Um, I got very close, if I weren't just that tiny bit too lazy, to making a nice little yellow traffic sign, a diamond shape to put on the inside at the front door with the simple traffic question, last exit question mark? <laughs> Would this be the last time I walk out my front door? Have I left things at home the way I want them to be left? Have I patched things up with people that need to be patched up? Have I reminded people who need to be reminded of my care and concern for them that I care and concern for them? Have I sought forgiveness from anybody that I need to? Have I told my kids I love them? Because whether it's a tram or the return of Jesus, this might be my last exit. Practical question. What is currently unresolved in your life if Jesus might appear between now and your return to class after morning tea? What have you left unresolved if Jesus appears before we get to go and enjoy morning tea? Is something suddenly spring to mind right now saying, I've been putting that off. I haven't yet dealt with that. Will there be another opportunity? Do you need to take a note to yourself? Make a reminder. It's one of those valid occasions to pull out a device and actually start playing with the calendar feature. Do something soon. It actually turns out to be one of those rare blessings of a terminal disease because you get some advanced warning and you get an estimated time frame to put your affairs in order. Well, friends, everyday life is a terminal disease and Jesus has already put us on notice. He gives us here the warning that says you have a finite time. The problem is we're not given a prognosis of you have three weeks to live. You have six months to set your affairs in order. You've got, you know, one and a half years to two years to set yourself up. Again, are your affairs in order now? You and God, you and family, you and friends, you and enemies. You might want to think of one or two projects that need some urgent attention. 
we can't say we haven't been warned. We can't say we haven't been notified. And as we saw yesterday, there are a bunch of signs around us now, which are not signs counting down to a particular end. But every time you hear of wars and rumours of wars, of nation against nation, of kingdom against kingdom, of famines and earthquakes, it is a reminder that creation is groaning, waiting for God to send Jesus back to set things right. We cannot assume that there will be any further warning signs. We are on notice. Jesus moves on in his second paragraph to extend that same kind of advice. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. It's great that for once Jesus doesn't use one of those foreign rural images about sheep or grain. We've got some vague idea of what they're about, but you'll find farmers will tell you that uh, most of us city folk really don't get the point properly. But here's an image that might work really straightforward for us in our urban setting. Understand this. If the owner of the house had known at what time of night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would not have let his house be broken into. We have been warned. I'm really grateful that the letter that arrived early this week is telling me I've got a few more days before a rental property inspection next Monday. I've been meaning to work on the lawn for some time, I really have, uh, but now I have just that final bit of incentive to make sure that it happens this weekend and not wait till reading week. Imagine if every morning that you left for college, your agent or landlord might just turn up to see your house today. Is it ready? Is it prepared? Are you watchful? Jesus has given us notice, though he's not set a concrete date for us. And that's, again, one of those nice things where we do get specific warning. Jesus' command there in verse 42 is very straightforward. Therefore, keep watch, because we do not know exactly which day. Now, I'm sorry to break it to you that the result of that is an awful lot of effort. If I suspected a rental property inspection every week or every day, I would be doing more work around the house more regularly. If I really figured that I might be one of the people caught in a car accident last night and crushed at a level crossing, I might have left home, left work, left my relationships in a better state than if I just go, I'm still vaguely young and indestructible and will live forever. Here's my new thought. What would it be like in a college environment if your class teacher stood up at the start of the semester, I'm here by giving faculty to institute this as of this afternoon, and warn students that you will be tested throughout the semester, that you will have 100% of your marks taken up, and you have no idea when the testing regime will come. Now, I know it happens with Greek. You know every week there's going to be a quiz. Yes, that's right. <laughs> I know that Mike runs a recap at the start of each session and I hope there's suitable embarrassed silence if nobody fills it. But what if next week could suddenly be a pop quiz worth 30% of your semester's mark? 
How are you going with that ongoing progressive revision that you know is a good thing, that you swear you will do next unit, <laughs> next semester, and despite it being a good thing to do, even the right thing to do, how prepared are you? Jesus says in verse 44, So you also must be ready, because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. <clears throat> Reflect for a moment. What ought you be watching out for and being ready for? What might Jesus be prompting you to think about going home and setting right today in case there is no tomorrow? Christians are called to be prepared and it requires effort. I'm worried about this poor homeowner who apparently never sleeps but at least is watchful and his house will not be the one broken into. Jesus moves on to tell a couple of stories which are both negative and positive, and we'll think about those briefly in a minute. But right now, let's cast this in a positive light. How would I like my parents to have come home and find a strange young lady they'd never met? She was even from interstate to make matters more complicated. How would I like them to have come home and surprised us and found us? Not many things I would have changed, but I'm pretty sure the swimming outfits for both of us weren't the most useful indicator. What is it you would like to be caught doing when Jesus comes back? You don't have to be on your knees in the middle of your daily three-hour prayer time. Though please institute that or continue that as required. There's the famous quote from Martin Luther, what would you do if you knew Jesus were coming back tonight? And he said, plant a tree, which I take to mean, and I haven't studied the context adequately, uh, that he would go about his normal everyday business because he is pleased with his normal everyday business. What is it that you would like to be caught doing? And it might be some good mundane things. You might be keeping your property in order because not just threat of rental inspection, but it's a good thing to do for your house, your household, the people who live there. You might be diligently sitting in the library doing your work, preparing for next week's surprise pop quiz <laughs> because it's the right thing to be doing and it's a great way to be caught. How would you like to be found when Jesus suddenly reappears? The third paragraph here does turn up the heat for us a little bit. It's actually a good example of street corner evangelism and, as we've heard a couple of times in recent weeks, we could summarise this last paragraph. There are two ways to live. It's really tempting to see here the example of a good servant and a bad servant as two examples for Christians, two Christian responses saying, OK, well, here's how I'd like to be caught and here's how I might be caught, hopefully not probably be caught. It's not a call to say, here is a better way to be a Christian and found and a slightly less desirable way to be a believer and found. It's actually a call for two different ways and we need to read the text carefully. The first servant is a good servant, a faithful and wise servant who is given responsibility over his master's household. He does not know when his master will return but he goes about his all-day, everyday, common, appropriate business. 
and he's caught doing the right thing when his master returns. The other servant is not a good servant who's just slightly corrupt, but the other servant is one who does not take seriously his master's promised return. The other servant is actually characterised quite clearly as a wicked servant. The other servant is characterised as one who doesn't at all take seriously his master's return, and in fact flips the question around and goes, ah, oh, look at all this time. Like young men who go, my parents aren't really coming back till Saturday. That's what they said, I'm sure. This wicked servant is like those in the Bible who say, where is he? We see no promise of his return. We see no sign that he's coming back. What else can we get away with before we start to take that threat with any seriousness? And this servant isn't guilty of just some mild misdemeanor, having forgotten to mow the lawn. He actually sets about mistreating the people in his care and his responsibility. And his punishment we often take to read as a fairly metaphorical kind of thing, and it might be a metaphor, but it could well be, as Jesus often does with his parables, a very literalistic outrageous kind of punishment that the master meets out upon this wicked servant when the master returns. True believers don't enjoy a lot of option here. There are two ways to live. There are two ways to live. It's like turning to my children. You will clean your room, won't you? It's technically a yes-no question. <laughs> there are two ways to live. But how will a master find his servant when he returns? If you're a follower of Jesus, we'll be waiting patiently and ethically when our master finds us. We'll be setting about meeting our assigned responsibilities. We'll be ready for our house inspection, for our random class test. Let the reader understand. At any moment. And this longer parable then becomes a diagnostic for us. It helps us test ourselves. Are we waiting for, our, for Jesus? Are we behaving responsibly while we wait? Are we prepared for his random arrival? How will he find us and our lives this day or this week or this semester? It helps us to observe those around us. Are they perhaps showing too much delight in Jesus' delay? Are they perhaps expecting some last-minute countdown? Have they got caught up with biblical phrases like times, time, and half a time? Are they waiting for three and a half years or 1,260 days or some other numerical measurement where they're finally given final warning? For this passage and the passage we looked at yesterday, do not give us great courage for any further notice. And does their Christian behaviour or lack of Christian behaviour match their Christian confession? And of course, as we're put in positions of ministry responsibility, whatever those might be, how might we use these to help measure the preparedness of those for whom we might have some care, some opportunity to provide warning? The problem with yesterday's passage was there's so much exegetical difficulty that we might throw our hands up in despair and disregard even the clear parts of it. The problem with today's passage is there is no exegetical difficulty whatsoever. And any hand throwing up in the air that we might do is recognition of the fact that it's all too clear and requires more thinking 
more response, more obedience, more effort for us. Don't mishear me. If you find yourself prepared, if you even have a glowing yellow diamond on the back of your door that asks, last exit, question mark, then congratulations, you're taking this seriously and that's great. If you wake up every day praying, dear God, help me to live as if this day might be my last, then you have understood and obeyed the passage. I suspect for most of us there might be even some minor issues and perhaps some major issues that are worth addressing because we do not know whether we have another half hour, three days, four years. It's like a lot of engagements you see these days. We get to watch a number of them around college. We sometimes even talk about it as faculty. And often it's not just a question of, will he propose? Because <laughs> usually you can tell they're smitten, there's no hope. But the question becomes, when and where and how will he propose? And we've heard some really exciting stories around here as well. You can ask faculty or other collective memory around the place. We hear here, if I might borrow language from elsewhere in the New Testament, that Jesus is committed to his bride. And we wait, perhaps even with longing, to see when our long betrothal is finally going to come to fulfilment. How will God find his bride when he finally clicks his fingers and says today is the day therefore keep watch because you do not know on what day your Lord will come so you also must be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him Amen, Amen.